All right, so what, I'm just gonna take a little poll before we start. I just want people's opinions. What is Leviathan? What is Leviathan? A big dragon, Franklin says. Okay, that's, that's a good answer. Definitely has dragon attributes, huh? Anybody else want to give a jab? Sea serpent, right? A sea monster, yeah. A, a very scary thing. Yeah. All right. Job 41 1 says, Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaws with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Verse 4, he will make a covenant with will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a board, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. <laughs> you will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me, God? Who has first given to me what I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silent concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to the other, no air can come between them. Verse 17, they are joined one to another. They clasp each other and they cannot be separated. So like scales, you know, one over the other, like a reptile, right? Or a dinosaur. He sneezes and flashes forth lightning, and his eyes are like eyelids of the dawn. Yeah, that's pretty intense. So I would have burned up my whole room if I had that problem. This morning I got up, I sneezed like five times. My <laughs> fourth is. <laughs> That I splash forth light, lightning, that would be no good, right? Out of his mouth goes flaming torches, sparks and fire leap forth, so he breathes fire. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from boiling pot and bursting, burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and his flames come forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as stone and hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. 
Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, nor the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee from him, sling stones or thorns to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. Under his, his underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On the earth there is not like his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is the king over all the sons of pride. So here we have a description of a beast, uh, a dragon of some sort, right? But he has more than just a physical appearance and play, right? Even with this last verse, it says he sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. So he has, it's not only describing a beast uh, of some sort, maybe a dinosaur or just cut out. Um, but it's, it's not just describing something natural, it's describing something, and I would say supernatural, okay? So it, it's not an either-or, though, it's a both-and. And so let's see how Scripture uh, deals with this. So there are actually four names for this kind of creature in the Old Testament, okay? Um, we're not going to go through all of them tonight because it's going to take too much time. We're just going to look at Leviathan. But Leviathan, Rahab is another one, which if you know your Bible, Rahab is a name, another name that God gives to mock Egypt, okay? Um, so Rahab is another sea serpent of some sort. Tannin is another one, uh, another serpent, a creature. And then Tihahim or Tihom, also known as Tiamat, is, is another. And like I said, tonight we're just going to look at Leviathan. But all of them carry the idea of serpent and dragon, okay? Um, so we're going to look through some of these, um, mainly Leviathan tonight. Okay, so the Greek translates most of these names in the Septuagint as dracon or dracon, which is where we get the word for dragon, okay? So... Franklin was hitting at it when he said it's a big, nasty dragon, you know, a big, terrifying dragon at the beginning. So it is. Um, so how does scripture, and not only scripture, but second temple literature, develop these beasts, right? So um, So let's take a look So at the Old Testament passages for the Leviathan. We just read Job 41, right? The other one actually is earlier in Job, in Job 3.8. Let's look at that one. It's in his lament where he wishes he would wishes to die. And that one says, Let those curse it who curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Right? So he's, he's, a, he's in a big world of hope because he's like, we're going to rouse up the sea monster, right? Because that's how pitiful I feel, right? 
And then Psalm 74, 14, uh, it's talking about God or talking to God. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. So here God is killing Leviathan, right? It's, it's a polemic um, against this creature because we've already established that he has physical characteristics, but he also has some spiritual because he's the king of the sons of pride, right? It's a metaphorical use, yeah. That's a use, that's a medical, metaphorical use, yeah. So, uh, or we could talk a little bit about that. It's either metaphorical or it's being translated. I would say it's metaphorical. Psalms 104, 25 through 26 says, Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There are... There go the ships and Leviathan, which God formed to play in it. So here he's neutral, right? He's just in the sea, uh, swimming around, playing in the sea. So Isaiah 27.1 is not neutral, though. It says, in that day, speaking of the day of the Lord, okay? The Lord, in that day, the Lord with his hand, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the trysting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Okay? And, of course, those, uh, mo- a lot of those words that I was talking about that are other names for Leviathan, like Rahab and Tiamon, those are used in this verse in the Hebrew. Like serpent and dragon... Those are those other words. Now, listen to this. This is interesting because we're going to jump out of the Old Testament and we're going to go to pre-Old Testament. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. Um, And so we're going to go to other writings before Job in the Ugaritic uh, poetry, um, talking about its Canaanite uh, mythology is really what it is. But listen to this. Think about the one psalm that was God was going to crush the heads of Leviathan, and then also that he was going to bring the sword against Leviathan. And when you uh, kill Litan, which is another variation of Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, annihilating the twisty serpent, the potent the potentate with how many heads? Remember that? Seven heads. The heavens grew hot and they withered. So here this ancient beast uh, in the Canaanite godheads. Uh, Baal is the one that's actually killing him in the Canaanite religion. But Israel is saying, no, Baal didn't kill the, the Leviathan. God did, Right? And so this Leviathan is becoming this chaos creature, isn't it? Well, everywhere he goes, he creates chaos, and he's representing evil. You see that happening in, in the text? Right? And it's going to grow. Leviathan in the Second Temple writings. So what we just read was before this was written. Okay? Now we jumped from between the Testaments, okay? We're in Second Temple literature. That's after the Old Testament's written, right? Before the New Testament. Does that make sense? 
So we're between the, go- the, the covenants, right? All Bible here is blank. <laughs> but there was writing between those t- covenants. And if we're developing an idea, we need to know how they were thinking during those times because God walks off of the ideas of culture and what's been built. He doesn't communicate in a void, right? So Leviathan in Second Temple writings, we're going to go to First Enoch, and that's not in the Bible, but it's in the Second Temple literature, the pseudopigraphia, um, pseudopigrapha. There you go, Franklin. Thank you for helping me with that. Which means basically not that they're false writings, but that they've assigned, uh, assigned names to the writing that doesn't go with the author. Like first Enoch, Enoch didn't write this book, right? We don't know the name of the guy who actually wrote the book. So that's why it's pseudepigrapha. But it doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't convey what the culture and the religious people were thinking at the time. Does that make sense? So, First Enoch 60, 6 through 9 says, And when this day arrives, talking about the day of the Lord, and power and the punishment and the judgment which is the Lord of the spirits has prepared for those who do not worship the righteous judgment, for those who deny the righteous judgment, and for those who take his name in vain, it will become a day of covenant for the elect and inquisition for the sinners. Okay? Sounds like the day of the Lord the day of judgment. On that day, two monsters will be parted. One monster, a female named Leviathan, in order to dwell in the abyss of the ocean over the fountains of the water, and the other, a male called Behemoth, which we talked about last week, which holds his chest in an invisible desert whose name is Dundayan, east of the Garden of Eden, where the elect and the righteous ones dwell, where and my grandfather was taken, the seventh from Adam, the first man whom the Lord of Spirits created. Okay, so here we have Leviathan being separated, being dealt with, right? Um, and then we have Second Baruch uh, 29.4, and it says, And behemoth will reveal itself from its place, and Leviathan will come from the sea. Two great monsters, which I created on the fifth day. Now that's... Uh, not in coherence with scripture, um, depending on how you take that, on the fifth day of creation and which I have kept until that time, and they shall be nourishment for all who are left. So here's that eating idea again. Um, um, Actually, in Jewish literature, even after this, the idea of Leviathan and Behemoth being the meal of the uh, what we would call the marriage supper of the lamb, that's what they they would say that the, that is being eaten is behemoth and leviathan. That's being roasted on the spigot. Okay, then second address six forty nine through fifty two. Um, all these would be in your Catholic a Catholic Bible, but we're not Catholic. So second address six. 49 through 52 says, then this, then I'm just going to read it in English instead of King James. Then did you preserve two living creatures, one you called behemoth and the other you called Leviathan, right? 
and you did separate one from the other from the seventh part, namely where the water was gathered together, might not hold, where the water was gathered together, might not hold them both. Unto Behemoth you gave one part which was dried up on the third day, that which he dwelt in the same, whereas uh, a thousand hills. But unto Leviathan you gave the seventh part, namely the moist, and you gave how you have kept them to be devoured, of whom you will and win, or you wilt and win. So when God wants them to be destroyed, he will destroy them. That's basically what that's saying there. Then we have the Apocalypse of Abraham. Uh, 21.4 says, And I saw there the sea and its islands and its cattle and its fish and Leviathan and his realm and his bed and his lairs and the world which lay, lay upon him and his motions and the destruction he caused the world. Or literally translated, and the, uh, the destroyer of the world. Okay, so... He is, in this literature, evil, wreaking destruction, right? And then uh, this one is interesting because this is where we are then transferring from the Leviathan warding to even some dragon warding. And it says, and I looked at the picture. He's, got a, he's looking at a vision. And my eyes ran to the side of the Garden of Eden, and I saw there a man, very great in height, Intelable in breadth, incomparable in aspect, entwined with a woman who was also equal to the man in aspect and size. And they were standing under the tree of Eden. The fruit of the tree was like the appearance of a bunch of grapes of the vine. And behind the tree was standing something like a, a dragon in form, but having hands and feet like a man's. On his back, six wings on the right and six wings on the left. And he was holding the grapes of the tree and feeding them to the two I saw entwined with each other. Right? So now he's actually being uh, associated with who we would label as Satan. Of course, in Second Temple literature, Satan is typically labeled as Aziel. And I, said, and I said, who are these two entwined with each other? Or who is this between them? And what is the fruit which they are eating, mighty one, eternal? And he said, this is the world of men. This is Adam, and this is their thought on earth. This is Eve, and he who is between them is the impiety of their behavior unto perdition, Azazel himself. So this is thought, developing, bringing us up into the New Testament, right? So when John begins in Revelation 12 to talk a certain way, uh, and Revelation 13, he expects his audience to know all this stuff that I've just given to you. And not just know it on a surface, but it's, it's integrated into their thought pattern. It's not like new today to them. Does that make sense? It's integrated. It's just how they think. For us, it's foreign, right? Semi-foreign.
Right, because part of why we're confused is because we think very naturalistically about the world, right? And we don't necessarily think supernaturally, and we don't think so much about dragons being real or, you know what I mean? Or even a dragon representing a demonic force. I mean, sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. For them, it's a both and. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is a scary creature for sure. So Leviathan in the New Testament is mainly coming up in Revelation. Um, and Revelation 12.9 would be the most explicit, which would then actually send us to Genesis chapter 3 and the serpent, which is tied into the Leviathan as well. Um, but Revelation 12.9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Right? So this is the whole reason we're really talking about Leviathan, is because this is a tieback. The author of John is saying that guy, that Leviathan that was described in Job, that God, you know, kills with the head with his heads you know this is that tie back right and then he takes it a step further because in 13 1 he says i saw a beast rising out of the where is he the sea and where's leviathan live he lived in the sea with 10 horns and seven heads how many heads does leviathan have seven See? So John isn't just pulling this image out of his pocket. Does that make sense? He is imaging what they imaged all the way back in Job, all the way back in Genesis, this serpent, right? And he's imaging this to say God is going to take care of this, right? Right? He has seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemy names on its head. And the beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority, right? Now, who, who beats this beast? Who beats it? Who wins? The Lord and his angels. That's right. That's, that was the previous chapel. He overcame the beast, the Michael and the archangel and Christ on the cross. Really is the ultimate victor of the beast. Okay? Okay? Of this chaos creature. But this is what John is pulling from. He's pulling from all these ideas. From Leviathan, from Rahab, um, from Teman, all these things. So what is Leviathan? Well, we got some options, and we're going to talk about each one. So Leviathan is a crocodile, and people say that because they didn't look at the whole context, but part of why they think that Leviathan is a crocodile is in Ezekiel 29, 
Cody 29.3 says, Behold, uh, behold I'm against, God says, Behold, I'm against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams. They say, My Nile is my own. I made it for myself. Right? And then, uh, so who, what is the thing that's in the Nile? What's the serpent or the big, what do we, it's a crocodile, right? That's what lives in the Nile. So that's why people say, oh, see, it's just talking about a crocodile, right? The other thing uh, they reason would be, it'd be in Ezekiel 32.2. It says, you consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. You burst forth in your rivers, trouble the waters with your feet, and you fell their rivers. So they also take that dragon too, um, talking about uh, Egypt to be a crocodile. Now, I, I, I think, why would, they, why would a scholar want to choose a crocodile? Anybody have any thoughts or suggestions? People who were here last week would be able to have a good insight on that. What was the lens that you'd wear? What's an evolutionary lens? According to evolution, do dinosaurs and man live together? No. Evolution says, you know, the, that man came way after dinosaurs. There's billions of years between men and dinosaurs, right? So if you believe in evolution and there's millions of years between men and dinosaurs, then it can't be a dinosaur, right? It can't be a dragon, it must be a crocodile. Now, I've never seen crocodiles breathe fire. Have you seen crocodiles breathe fire, Frank? Right? Breathe fire? Alligators, right? But they don't breathe fire. No, you don't go near to them. They'll tear you up, right? Right? So, Leviathan, is he a crocodile? No, I don't think he's a crocodile. Are crocodiles ferocious? Yeah. And are they hard to kill? Yeah. You have like a little tiny spot right on the back of their head. That, that's the only spot, right? You can really kill them. So Leviathan is a mythical serpent slash dragon to represent evil and chaos. And then all the reference we just went through, you could easily make that conclusion, right? Does that make sense? Mythical, though. That's the key word in that definition. Is Leviathan a myth? Meaning not true? Right. Right. Yeah, he's he comes up from the abyss. Yeah. He he is an evil being. So he's not myth. That's the problem, right? Now, Leviathan is a dinosaur created on the fifth day of creation uh, with the great sea creatures, as it says in Genesis 1.21. Because if you trace those uh, Hebrew words that I was talking about that are also used for Leviathan, uh, where it says great sea creatures in Genesis 1.21, that's that he one of those Hebrew words, see? And so it's talking about uh, the dinosaurs, or big 
sea, great sea creatures, so creature, a creature like Leviathan, was created on, according to Genesis 1, uh, the fifth day. The fifth day, all the so, uh, and God said, "Let the let God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of excuse me, living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens." So God created the great sea creatures. That's one of those words for Leviathan, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swam according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God said it was good. And then in verse 23, it says, there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So we have this creation of Leviathan on what day? Right, and all kinds of Leviathan, right? I mean, this is a specific kind, but those, if you look at the fossil record, there's all different sizes of uh, sea creatures that are great, massive, right? You've seen those pictures. Some of them are terrifying. Right? But Leviathan is not just a dinosaur, is he? Right? Because he's the king of all the signs of pride, as it says in uh, Job 41, I think 26 is the last verse there in chapter 41. So I would say, this is my opinion on this whole thing and my take on it, that Leviathan is a dinosaur or a sea, big sea monster, sea creature, that actually existed. He wasn't a myth, okay, uh, that uh, a creature that is used because they're terrifying, right, to represent evil and chaos in the world and to show God defeating it once and for all. So it's a both and. It's not a myth, though. Leviathan was a real creature that lived in the sea. And there wasn't just one. There was several of them. And it would prey on sailors, and it would terrify people, right? God is not talking about a mythic post, a creature in Job 41, right? He's talking about some kind of dinosaur or sea creature. Now, you go, well, how does it breathe fire? Well, those things in nature right now that breathe, that do chemical reaction. Now, here the bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle makes a chemical reaction and basically blows fire or chemical heat out of its backside as a aggression thing. So it's not unheard of even in today, right, for something to have a chemical defense, right? So part of the, what the problem is, is it being a crocodile or being mythical is a lens. Part of that lens is an academic lens of science that an evolutionary worldview, thinking that dinosaurs and men do not live together. But we just read in Genesis that Leviathan was created on the, what day? Fifth day. Yeah. And when were we created? We were created on the sixth day. God rested on the seventh. Nothing happened. We all had a siesta on the seventh, okay? So... But, but the sixth day, God created man, right? He's the last thing that God created because he created all the animals before man on the sixth day. But man was created on the sixth day. So how many, so 
whether you say it's a 24-hour day or a 12-hour day, morning and evening, however you want to deal, not that millions of years have not transpired, right? So dinosaurs and sea monsters and man were all on the planet at the same time, right? So it's very easy for then scripture to talk about them, not in myth, right? Not in myth but in actual beings that then they use as an analogy. Does that make sense? It's a Leviathan, behemoth, becoming an analogy for chaos and evil. And then specifically later on in the New Testament era, John describes it home and says it's who? Satan and his angels. Yeah. In the Second Temple period, they call him Aziel, right? We lose that name along the way, but that's either one of Satan's angels or, or a demon, basically, or say another name for Satan, right? So what's the takeaway then? Well, first off, that's a pretty cool creature, right? Leviathan's a pretty awesome-looking, terrifying but awesome creature. God, yeah, we should get Ron to print that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Leviathan reminds us of God's creative power in creating such powerful beasts as dinosaurs, right, and powerful sea creatures. Did you know the blue whale, right? That's one of the, the blue whale is like the largest creature on earth, pretty much. Um, uh, a full-grown man can stand up in a blood vein of the blue whale. A blood vein. That's huge, right? It's hard to comprehend, and yet there's a whole bunch of them swimming out there in the ocean right now. Right? So God is awesome, right, in his creativeness, Right? From the little bombardier beetle that throws out toxic fire when he's attacked, right? To this great Leviathan beast, right? That no one can subdue except two. The creator, God, right? So then it also reminds us that God will not allow chaos or evil or the Lord of chaos free reign, right? They're not going to win. He will bring them to an end. And that's what we look forward to. That's what Revelation is about. It's about bringing that chaos to an end, right? Over the next couple of Sundays, I don't know if we'll, how deep, I actually probably have to take a break, but God is going to start to sanctify the earth for redemption through the pouring out of sacrificial bulls. We call them the seven bowls of wrath, right? So this is that whole redemption of bringing chaos to an end. And that's, that's a big part of what Revelation is about. That's why Revelation 12 is really kind of settled right in the middle of Revelation. 12 and 13, those beasts. And they will lose. They're going to lose big time. All right. Any questions, thoughts, comments?
just like. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So let me let me let me explain. So Leviathan was created as a a creature. Okay, and it was a mighty creature, a powerful creature. Okay, but not malevolent. Okay. Then on, who knows how long that happened, but we have the fall that happened, right? Then that's when Leviathan and Behemoth take on malevolent characteristics. Yeah. Didn't cut well. Okay. So Leviathan was fine. He was a creature, a dinosaur, or a sea sea monster, but was but but would not do evil. Would not bring chaos when we sinned and brought sin into the world. When the angels rebelled and brought sin into the world, deceived us, and we got caught up into that. Then Leviathan takes on the persona. Does that make sense? Of evil and chaos and causes chaos. Same with behemoth. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So created good. Behemoth and Leviathan both created good. Then when sin entered into the play, when the first rebellion happened of the, the demonic host and, and humanity, right? then that's when these things start to go south, okay? And then that's not the first time, right? I mean, that one, that's the very first time, and then you have another one in Genesis 6 with the whole Nephilim and Reif, uh, giants, right? Sons of God laying with women, angels having relations with uh, women, and then the last time is Babel, and we'll talk about Babel and the origin of Babylon um, probably next Wednesday. So we'll get into all that because we'll be talking in Revelation about Babel and it's Babylon the Great that's fallen and where is this Babylon coming from? And I, and I alluded to that a little bit on Sunday, but we'll go a little more deeply into that. Does that make sense? All right, any other questions? Yeah, this Sunday is Operation Christmas Child. Uh, yes, this is the photo Sunday. The, the photo is right after church. Just have everybody come up and take the photo. I know, I don't know. You maybe were sick or already left, but yeah, I don't know. Didn't mean to exclude you on the other one, though. <laughs> 